Micah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. brought a handkerchief because this is my first time preaching since like November, so I'm probably going to cry. <sighs> Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, throughout this season of Epiphany, we have been exploring what it means to live as Christians what it means to live as people who bear the name of Christ through the series, God's Love, Our Love. We're looking at the ways that God's love fills us to overflowing and flows out of us through our lives into the world around us. These are the kinds of sermons that some people call, so therefore, sermons. God loves us, so therefore, love others. God has called us to follow Christ, so therefore, call others to follow Christ. God cares for the world he has made, so therefore, we care for the world God has made God has given us every good thing, so therefore, we steward it as God's stuff, not our stuff. Today we're going to be talking about mercy ministry, 
about service, what Scripture calls in the Greek diakonia, which is where we get the word deacon from, service, mercy. And based on our text from Micah chapter 4, I've titled this sermon, A Gospel of Abundance. And the reason that I've chosen this text and this angle into mercy ministry is because the call of God to love those who are downtrodden, to love those who are oppressed, that beautiful refrain that we hear again and again throughout the Old Testament and carried into the New, remember to care for the poor, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner living in your midst. This flows out of God's assurance to his people that he is a God of abundance. Our passage today offers us a beautiful image of peace. And this image is used throughout the prophets in the Old Testament. The image of each person sitting under their own vine, under their own fig tree. This is an image of what Old Testament Hebrew calls shalom. A word that we translate as peace but which means so much more than peace. Not only peace, but flourishing, harmony, abundant life, fruitfulness, prosperity, peace. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout the prophets, we hear time and time again this image of peace and prosperity, this image of abundant life that each one, each person will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid. For the people of ancient Israel, living in a land of wilderness, a land of desert, entirely dependent on the temperamental seasonal rains for their harvest, constantly facing the threat of foreign invasion from their, their neighbors on their borders and from great empires far away, this must have been a comforting image indeed. Everyone sits under their own vine under their own fig tree, enjoying the fruit of their labor, satisfied in peace, with no one to make them afraid. This is God's promise to his desert people, to his wilderness wanderers, a promise of abundance, because God is an abundant God. He is not a God of scarcity. This is the God who makes streams of water flow in the desert, who plants gardens in the wilderness, who draws water out of solid rock for his thirsty people. This is the God who opens the storehouses of heaven and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. This is the God who brings the harvest in its season. This is the God who created millions upon millions of creatures on the earth. God is no minimalist. God is a God of abundance. 
And this truth from Scripture, which we proclaim, is so contrary to the false gospel proclaimed by the powers of this world. Scripture gives us a story of abundance, but the principalities of this world whisper rumors of lack, rumors of scarcity. There aren't enough resources to go around. Overpopulation is a big problem. Those people are coming to steal our jobs. Got to get what I can while I can. Watch out for me and mine. The powers of this world use these myths of scarcity to hold on to power, to control through fear. And we often fall for it, even in the church. We worship a God of abundance. We worship a God whose grace, whose mercy overflows to all the earth. Many nations will come to the mountain of the Lord. Many peoples will stream to it to learn the way of peace. Jesus, in his time on earth, offered God's grace to anybody who would receive it. He didn't care who they were. Women and men, the poor and the rich, the Pharisees and the prostitutes, the blind and the lame and the members of the Jewish ruling class, Jews and Samaritans and Phoenicians and Romans, an abundant God with abundant grace. But we tend to be more frugal with our grace we don't offer what God has given us to just anybody. It's not a free-for-all. We tend to be much more discerning than Jesus was in how we hand out God's grace. Christina Cleveland is a social scientist and a Christian who studies how social forces influence the church in her book, Disunity in Christ, it's a great title, Disunity in Christ, <laughs> she talks about how all people, Christians included, have a natural tendency to create categories in our minds that we kind of sort people into. And one of these categories, especially in the church, I mean, obviously in the church, which she explores pretty humorously is a category that she calls right Christians and wrong Christians. Sorry I made you guys the wrong Christians. But. <laughs> and the reason it's humorous, the way she points it out, is because right Christians tend to be the kind of Christian that we are, and wrong Christians tend to be the kind of Christians that we kind of have a problem with. And Cleveland st tells the story in this book about a guy named Ben in her church community growing up. And by the time that they were young adults, they were, they were pretty much, Christina and Ben were pretty much the only two single people in the church. And so they ended up doing a lot together because, you know, the church asked them to do youth group and like all these things, right? Because they're the young single people. But everything about Ben 
bothered her. Ben was that kind of judgy, preachy idealist for whom there was no gray area ever for anything. He designed nuclear warheads for the U.S. military. That was his job. Designing nuclear warheads. (laughs) And his normal dress was Hawaiian button-down shirts and cargo shorts. Just awful. (laughs) And... Cleveland tells a story about this one time that they were on this long bus ride to a youth retreat and she had to listen to Ben pontificate on his unyielding principles for a really long time. And she got to the end of that bus ride and she realized and she was horrified by the idea that she would have to spend eternity in heaven with him, (laughs) with Ben. Oh, sisters and brothers, how often don't we do this? Don't we all create our little lists in our head of the people that we'd like to spend eternity in heaven with and the people we'd rather not? (sighs) Why is it so hard for us to share God's grace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Without setting ourselves up as judge over them, determining their worth as a Christian. Why is it that we have such difficulty calling some people our our brothers and our sisters in Christ? Why is it easier to show God's grace to people who are like us, who agree with us, Why is it so difficult for us to cross boundaries of class and wealth and race and age and sit with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are different from us? Why is it so hard for us, the followers of the God who became human, of the God who became poor, of the God who went to death for our sakes. To do the same for our brothers and sisters. People of God, God has given us so much. For some of you, I know because you've told me. For some of you, I know that it's hard for you to imagine what the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of peace and prosperity and abundance will be like because you already have it all. But the prophets point us to a kingdom in which all people will flourish, in which all people will live in peace, in which everyone will sit under their own vine and their own fig tree, enjoying the fruit of their labor in peace. 
And that kingdom, though begun in Christ, has not yet fully come. And we live now in that tension, in the in-between. In the kingdom that has begun but not yet arrived. In the already not yet kingdom. And what God has given us, he has given us to use to make our square inch of this world a place that points toward that coming kingdom. To make our square inch of this world a place that points people to God's abundance. To make our square inch of this world a place of abundant grace, of abundant justice, of abundant mercy. To make our square inch a place that points people to the kingdom that is coming. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. The prophet Zechariah, I'm moving around a little bit now, that's okay. The prophet Zechariah takes this image of God's abundance, of, of peace, of shalom, flourishing. And he takes it one step further. In Zechariah 3 verse 10, the prophet writes, In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and under your fig tree, declares the Lord. And this is where mercy ministry begins. This is where Christian service begins. By recognizing that God has blessed us so abundantly that we cannot help but share it with others. To care for our neighbor's need. To show God's grace, God's mercy, God's justice to them. It begins by recognizing that the people that God has placed around us, the people that God has placed around us in our community, in our little corner of the family of God, this is where we practice what it means to live as a family. This is where we practice what it means to show God's grace to a family that we didn't choose but that God chose. Sisters and brothers, we worship a God who loves us in spite of ourselves. So, therefore, let us show His mercy and grace to those who God calls our brothers and sisters. It's not, it's not always easy, I know, believe me. There are some people who we have great difficulty calling our brother or our sister in Christ. And I can see that some of you aren't having any trouble thinking of who that might be. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold that person in your mind. 
Hold that person in your mind who you have trouble saying is your brother, your sister in Christ. Hold them in your mind. One of the traditional things that we do in the Christian Reformed Church is prepare for communion. Prepare to come to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The week before Lord's Supper used to be a big deal in the Christian Reformed Church. We would only celebrate like four times a year, and there would be like a whole preparatory service, and then people would spend the whole week focusing on reconciliation in their relationships. They would take the week before Lord's Supper to focus on repentance, on forgiveness, on repair. Repairing relationships with the people around us in our own community. And so my challenge to you over this next week, as we prepare to stream to the table of God's grace, is to hold that person in your mind over this coming week. Pray God's grace over them. And think of one practical, tangible way that you can show God's grace to this person who you have trouble in your heart saying is your brother or your sister in Christ. One practical way that you can share God's mercy with those who God has called your family. For some of you, this is going to be easy, right? Some of you, you're going to say a prayer tomorrow. Tuesday, you're going to pick up the phone. Wednesday, you're going to go out for coffee. Sunday, you're going to come here for Lord's Supper. Praise God. That's great. For others of you, it will not be easy. And you'll have trouble holding this person in your mind. You'll have trouble praying for them. You won't pick up the phone. You won't even be able to think of one way that you can share God's grace with them. And you'll come back to church next week and it will still be difficult for you to say that that person is your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ. And if that's the case, if you don't have the strength to take that practical step of love and grace and mercy toward your brother, toward your sister in Christ, then come to the table of God's mercy and receive strength for your soul. Come to the table of God's grace where he nourishes us with his body and strengthens us by his blood. Come to the table of God's victory over death and sin that makes us, binds us together in a new family. 
receive strength for your souls so that you may be transformed. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Oh Lord our God, we pray that you would strengthen our souls. Give us the grace and the mercy that we need to be able to share your grace and mercy with our brother, with our sister. who doesn't always see eye to eye with us. Soften our hearts. Give us a heart that reflects your heart. Help us, O Lord our God, to share your mercy and your grace with those around us. Help us not to distance ourselves from them because you have not distanced yourself from us. Bless us, O oh Lord, we pray. Amen.